Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Michael, have you got a minute? We went to car racing. Did Max Verstappen just run away with the championship? Le Grand Snooze becomes the Grand Catastrophe for Leclerc. Race, great, track, classic, championship, over. Yeah, I understand that you're trying to pass somebody right now, but we need you in the pits, please. It's lights out and away we go. Here to turn one we go. Charles Leclerc ahead of Verstappen. Lewis Hamilton ahead of Perez. George Russell making a challenge on Perez. And very much Hamilton getting an epic start. And there is a spin and it is Yuki Tsunoda. Esteban Ocon gets a five-second time penalty for causing a collision, relegating Yuki Tsunoda to the back of the field. Who's that gone off? Leclerc. Charles Leclerc is out of the race. No! Carlos Sainz is past Fernando Alonso and he's pulled out from behind the slipstream of Sergio Perez. He's now going wheel to wheel through scene. <laughs> Why were they telling him to pit? Were they not watching the action? Carlos Sainz got ahead of Sergio Perez and up into the podium places. Incredible job. George oh, Russell, George Russell on Sergio oh. Perez. There's contact. He just fully turned into me. He needed to give the pace back. Joe Guanyu has stopped. Are we going to get a virtual safety car here? Maybe George Russell was just trying to get a little jump on Sergio Perez. And George Russell is ahead of Sergio Perez. Three laps to go. And no one has managed to get ahead of Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen, for the second year in a row, wins the French Grand Prix to take victory number 27 in his career. Hello, I'm Shannon Mabry, your host of the Race Directors podcast, and I'm joined by the soon-to-be blue-flagged backmarkers, F1 journalist Ed Spencer, serial podcaster Joe Spagnoli, and mysterious F1 Twitter menace, unpaid intern. So, the French Grand Prix was actually quite exciting. Ed, did you enjoy it? I wasn't expecting it to be quite as exciting slash traumatic as it was. Well, it wasn't quite Le Grand Snooze that I had anticipated, but it was quite beautiful, if you pardon the pun. Um, it was a good race, I think. Obviously, the headlines would be dominated by what happened with Charles, but down the order, we had some good battles. Checo and George, we had all this stuff in the midfield. 
and it was a pretty good race. But sadly, it'll probably be the last from Paul Ricard for some time because the circuit, unfortunately, may just not have done enough to keep its place in the F1 calendar. You mean no more wavy lines? Oh, it was quite a dramatic one um, with Charles's crash, obviously, and his reaction to it and that gut-wrenching scream at the end of his radio message. It all seemed to be going so well until it absolutely wasn't. How did you react to that crash in the moment? Because it just it was quite painful to watch for me, at least. In the moment, my reaction, as I've already said in the intro, the championship is over. For Charles Leclerc to come back from that kind of points deficit, another 25 points lost at a track where Ferrari seemed to have the pace. It's based on Ferrari out-developing Red Bull, tall order, Charles Leclerc not making any more mistakes, tall order, and Max Verstappen making more, which on his current form, you just can't imagine happening. I am going to declare it now, the championship is completely dead. Max Verstappen is the 2022 Formula One world champion, and rightfully so. Oddly, I mean, I thought the race was fantastic up until the point where Leclerc retired, after which it was good, sometimes very good, but far from a classic. Nowhere near as good as last year's French Grand Prix, for example. I'm, I'm actually getting quite irritated at some of the conspiracy theories and the anti-Ferrari people. That accident is 100% on Charles. You cannot blame that. On Ferrari, they've made it, they've got it wrong this year. Even by Ferrari standards, they have screwed up so much. That accident is one hundred percent on him, and he knew it. And yeah, I don't really think we can blame anyone other than Charles for that, and I don't think Charles blames anyone other than himself either. So, yeah, there have been a lot of conspiracy theories floating around uh, in the days since that race. In turn, how did you feel about the French Grand Prix? How did you feel about Charles's crash in particular? It's funny, I used to be the person that called Charles accident prone on Twitter. I remember when Leclerc went off in Imola and I was like, this is proof that Verstappen's clear of him because I don't see Verstappen spinning like that. And I got roasted. And what happens today or what happens this weekend? Loses it comfortably in the lead too because Verstappen had already pit. Loses it. Everyone's trying to blame it on some kind of throttle issue. I'm like, bruh, no. You just lost it. You just lost it, went into the barriers. Well, I mean, obviously it did shock me when it happened, but again, I, I've not really been one to to gloss over Leclerc's accident-prone nature. I don't think he crashes every race like some people. He's definitely capable of making mistakes like this, so kind of shocked in the moment, but not really surprised. As regards the race, it was all right. Definitely not as good as last year, but it, it did what it had to do. Let's talk about the podium. Uh, obviously, Max Verstappen took first place. Had a good day for Max. It, I guess quite easy for him in the end after Charles went out. But probably more interesting, the fact that we had a Mercedes 2-3. And we saw those two Mercedes drivers up on the podium together for the first time this season, which was really nice for them, I suppose. Can we talk about Russell's drive, please, and the Russell versus Checo battle under the VSC and where he, to be honest, appeared to have caught Checo napping? I know Checo's since mentioned that he got incorrect information from the control tower, I believe. Um, But Ed, what did you think about that little Russell overtake there where he did appear to to catch Checo asleep, essentially? To be honest, I thought it was quite exciting. Yeah, I thought it was a fairly clean, fairly clever overtake from, from George, although Checo did say that 
he did get two messages and the FIA did later confirm that it was a hardware issue. I thought the battle was fairly good between them both. It was very clean, very hard racing. And I don't, I don't really know why George was whinging about Checo's driving. I, you know, the fact, particularly with the fact that he had a straight line in the chicane, I thought there was nothing, nothing wrong with it. But yeah, it was a good result for him. Good result for Lewis P2, his highest result since Abu Dhabi last year. I wouldn't say Mercedes are back yet. I think it'd be rather fanciful or even foolish to say they could win a race this year. I still don't think they will. But yeah, it was a good drive from, from George. And one, he can be satisfied mugging the old wily veteran off in Mr. Checker. In turn, British Minister of Defence versus Mexican Minister of Defence. It was okay. I've, I've always been against like giving people nicknames based on like one specific trait that they're good at. Because if they ever have a, an instance where they're not good at it, they're going to get roasted. So obviously, Checo, they call him the Minister of Defense. So anytime someone gets by him, he's going to get roasted. Oh, I thought you were the Minister of Defense, Checo. All right, they call Russell Mr. Saturday. He almost had four tenths put on his skull by Lewis in qualifying. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the best weekend for either of them. They were both kind of off the pace compared to their teammates. The battle was good, but I'm more worried about just the deficit. Checo was not on it at all this week, and he kind of found it back in quali, but in the race, he didn't have anything for Lewis. Got beaten by Lewis on pure pace in that Mercedes. And Russell, Russell got out-qualified by Lando Norris. The only reason he got by him was because the Mercedes is naturally just faster than the McLaren. But Russell, Russell wasn't really looking that good until the dying stages of that race either. So the two of them have stuff to work on going into Hungary, in my opinion. Remind you that you did used to call George Russell, George Mickey Mouse Russell, among other things. I did. Among other things. But yeah, it was maybe, I agree with you, not perhaps as impressive um, as it looked. And it did require, you know, one of the Ferraris to have a, a big engine penalty and some questionable strategy choices um, to get those two Mercedes on the podium. And yeah, not really kind of the performance that we're used to seeing, I think, from Checo Perez. He can pull out some really insane performances, but maybe felt just a little bit lackluster. But do you know who didn't feel very lackluster? It was Fernando Alonso. Don't you think, Joe? Very hard to disagree. He was dick yet again, and I'm going to make myself look like an absolute clown when not a week ago I predicted A, no Mercedes would finish in the top five at Paul Ricard, and B, that Esteban Ocon would finish on the podium despite having never scored a point at Paul Ricard before. So imagine my shock when the opening laps of the race, Esteban Ocon dives up the inside of Sonoda in an absolutely stupid move into the North Chicane gets a five-second penalty, takes Sonoda out of the race. Fernando Alonso, Alonso, by comparison, conservative, calm, collected, and ahead of both McLarens. Just an all-around great weekend from beginning to end. And incredibly, with the fourth-fastest car, Alpine managed not to screw it up for an entire weekend. That is see that. We love it for Alpine. And I did love Alonso's line. I want those McLarens behind, right behind me so that they can kill their tyres. That felt very El Plan. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not the first time he's done it be before, you know. Uh, Alonso's, Alonso's pretty good when it comes to just holding people up when he needs to, as long as it's to his benefit. And it's a very good run this weekend by Alpine. Neither of the cars had mechanical issues, no no engine failures, no stuck on the grid. Just a complete race distance on both cars in the points, which is 
what they need more of, especially now that McLaren also have both of their cars in the points this weekend. So the rivalry is there. <laughs> I think Alpine probably have a better car right now, but I think it can vary as we go to different tracks. We don't know what things are going to be like when we get to Spa either. So still kind of disappointing that Alpine have thrown away so many points before this potential shakeup in Spa. But weekends like this need to continue. Their fourth place in the constructors with a, a building up a little gap between themselves and McLaren. So definitely very different to uh, to 2021 for them. Uh, having Lando Norris finishing in seventh and Ricardo in ninth in the points, which is nice. Definitely better, but they just didn't seem to be able to put up very much of a fight. They couldn't even get close to Fernando Alonso. I don't think there was any danger of Fernando needing to really do much defending against Lando Norris, to be honest, in that race. But nonetheless, it did feel like growth a little bit. Even with them losing that fourth place spot, it did feel like a better performance. Ed, what are your thoughts? Well, it would have been eight from tenth if Charles had not crashed out and Carlos had not got his had to stop late. In fact, no, it would have been ninth or eleventh. So a little bit of progress, but nothing to, you know, start banging the drum over. McLaren's car is probably, I would say, fifth or sixth at the moment in terms of outright pace, in terms of gelling over a weekend. And that's me being polite. We summed it, like in Bahrain, for example, the car was absolutely awful. Lando, you know, really put on a bit of a show in qualifying, getting P5, and he, he kind of expected that he would be swamped by the Alpines and George you know, from the start, his prediction was right. They're in the fight for fourth. You know, Alpine have dropped points, as Intern have said. But, you know, you have to wonder who's in better shape going into summer break. I don't know, really, because both have made mistakes. Both have been left for dust on some race weekends. And it's hard to say who's going to get the fight for fourth. But, yeah, points are points. Let's talk about, we've had a little bit of controversy uh, post-race. For that little move that Lance Stroll pulled on Vettel right at the end, right before the line, I know I've certainly seen a lot of people tweeting about it. Lance Stroll has had to turn his comments off on his Instagram when they've resorted to commenting on really old posts to slander him. I assume this is mostly said Vettel fans, which I can't imagine that said Vettel condones at all. But Joe, I can see you shaking my head and rolling your eyes. I would love to get your thoughts on this. I'm sorry. I mean, you see you're going to try hard not to swear. I apologise, producer Royfield. The levee is very close to breaking with me and F on Twitter and Instagram at this point. I'm sorry. I mean, you say you're going to try hard not to swear. I apologise, producer Royfield. The levee is very close to breaking with me and F on Twitter and Instagram at this point. It's not that deep. Stroll really didn't do anything wrong. It's the last lap. He doesn't lose a position. He, no, neither of them lose a position as a result of what happens. It costs the team the square root of jack all. For God's sake, is a driver not entitled to defend his position on the final lap? I just... Oh, I'm done. Well, I would agree with, with Joe. I think F1 fans seem to think they know everything. They, I mean, who knew that, you know, straight after Abu they had... Qualifications to be a racing driver, a race director, an engineer, an aerodynamicist, all those, and now suddenly they think they know the psychology of a driver. But it wasn't a very clever move, I will say this. I don't think it was a particularly well-judged piece of driving from Lance, but I don't think he did it intentionally, intentionally, and I don't feel that 
he deserves the abuse. If anything, the only person who should be saying what on earth do you think you're doing was Mike Crack and Sebastian Vettel. But then that could be resolved within five, ten minutes of straight talking. What you shouldn't be doing is sending disgusting abuse to a driver who is risking your life, your entertainment. He's already in a bit of a slump, judging by the fact that he doesn't talk too much to the media, as it is. He's not very sociable. He's not very active on social media. He's been called an autistic but person by Lionel Frossiard on Belgian television. He's in a bit of a bad way, and he doesn't need this. Again, F1 fans on social media think they control the sport. They don't. They they shame it, I would say. Let's talk about the Haas cars this weekend. Not the best weekend for Mick Schumacher after some recent pretty good performances for him, finishing in 15th, and then sadly, a DNF for Kevin Magnussen, which... To be honest, on the coverage I was watching, I don't even think was mentioned. He just seemed to disappear from the track. And then I noticed a good few minutes later, oh, Kevin Magnussen's DNF'd and I have no idea why. So not the best weekend for them. But then I guess they're still a much smaller team. They still haven't got the same funding that some of the other bigger teams have. They're not going to be consistently in the points, sadly, as much as we'd love them to be. In turn, how did you feel about Hass's performance this weekend? I mean, they were all right. I think Kevin had a lot of pace. He showed it in qualifying. Even though he was going to start in the back, he still put in very good laps during Q3. Not Q3, but Q1 and 2 specifically. And he, he made up a bunch of spots on the start. I think he finished lap 1 like 13th or something. He was in the top 15 by the end of lap 1. So the car had pace. He pit before the He pit before Leclerc crashed, so... That ruined his race because it sent him straight to the back and then everyone ahead would have pit. He loses the advantage he would have had. And then he tangled with Latifi, got damaged, retired the car. So I don't really think points were really thrown away because he was already out of it once Leclerc had binned it. But it's promising because we know the speed is there. Mick, obviously, he also had a spit. Who who do you hit with? Joe? I'm pretty sure he had a, like a, a coming together with Joe going. I'm pretty sure Joe spun him around at one point as well. So they both kind of had little tangles. But the car was definitely quick. And now that they're going to Hungary, and I'm pretty sure they're supposed to get like their first major upgrades of the year on Kevin's car, it should be a pretty... I'm, I'm excited to see how Haas will do in Hungary. I think given how well Ferrari do at tracks like Hungary. I think Haas might be up there as well. Before we move on, and this is something that I really want to discuss because it is baffling to me, and I'm hoping that you guys can enlighten me a bit. What the hell has happened to Pierre Gasly this year? Where did he go? Where has he gone? Why is he not regularly in the points anymore? Why am I not seeing Gasly in Q3, qualifying P5, finishing with a healthy amount of points? What on earth has happened? Can anyone enlighten me? Because I feel like this guy has just dropped off the face of the earth. Joe? Because he's gone from having the fourth or fifth fastest car that's quite easy to set up to the eighth fastest dragster on the field that has terrible turn-in and very little rear-end grip. Look, he was bad this weekend. He was even worse at Austria the weekend before. That is 90% on the car this year, honestly. He had bad performances this weekend. Sonoda all the way through the weekend was better than him, which at the French Grand Prix in particular, is very embarrassing. 
I agree with people. His season on individual merit is not as good as it was last year. It'd be hard to beat last year, though, in that car. But 90% of his decline this year has been because this year's AlphaTauri is, I'll say it right now, the most disappointing car in the entire field. And that includes the AMR22. I will also add my two cents to it. I think it's a combination of expectations being raised because of the fact that in 2020, they want to raise 2021, they were arguably, you know, fourth, fifth, you know, tops. And the fact that his future is, you know, up for grabs in 2023. So all that come together makes it look even worse. If Gasly was doing those kind of performances in 2018, we wouldn't really be bothered. We'd be like, oh, well, okay, I'll tell you on a bad weekend. I will agree with Joe, the 803, although it is a very beautiful looking car, it isn't quick. It is arguably the worst car that Alpha Tauri slash Torosa have made since, well, I would say, 2013, when they were really struggling at the tail end of the midfield. And, you know, Gasly is overdriving the thing. Austria, he overdrove, and that's what caused a collision with, I believe it was Seb Vettel, which got him the penalty. In France, he was overdriving the car again. And that's what got knocked out in Q1. Well, the fact that he was also constantly worrying about the traffic. I just think Alpha Tauri were going to go, are going through a natural bit of a digression, a bit of a transition point. Oh dear, the host is gone. A transition point that all teams do face. In turn, do you think that this is going to affect Gasly's prospects going forward? Because last year he was one of the top names being mentioned when we were discussing who might replace Lewis Hamilton one day alongside, say, Lando Norris. Do you think that his performance this year, albeit mostly car-related, do you think it could possibly affect his prospects going forward? Or will it be recognised that it's mostly just the car? What do you think? I don't think his prospects will be affected much by this season because he's already signed on for next season. I feel like next season is, I feel like contract years will always be the years where more eyes are on you critically. I think people on the outside looking in can tell that the Alpha Tauri isn't there this year. But even outside of that, like if the car isn't there and you just look slow, then fair play. But Gasly doesn't just look slow. He's making mistakes and stuff. And it's like, bro, like you, you can't be making errors when the car is slow. If the car is slow, Put yourself in a situation where people can look at your performances and blatantly just say, yeah, it's clearly the car, it's not you. When you're hitting Seb in Austria, you're making mistakes left, right, and center, getting out-qualified by Sonoda after what you did to him last year in qualifying. It's not the best look, but I still think as it regards job security, it's not going to cost him anything because he's already been re-signed for next season. Doesn't look like any of the Red Bull Juniors in F2 are going to get the call up anytime soon. So Gasly's in a cool spot right now. But he better not be doing this in 2023 or he's finished. Fingers crossed, because we do like to see him do well. But it is time, and that is to take a walk down Gossip Grid. Welcome to Gossip Grid, the part of the podcast where I impart onto you, dear listeners, the latest whispers flying around the paddock. The promoter of the French Grand Prix has said that he is not resigned to letting the race drop off the calendar just yet and is still in talks to try and keep the race in the game. After what was a very exciting race weekend with stands of patriotic fans, is it going to be enough to keep their hopes high for the coming years? 
and Logan Sargent has secured a free practice seat, suggesting that Williams already have their future lineup locked in with testing the next wave of talent. Could this be the confirmation that Piastri will join Albon next season and has done enough to confirm it without the need for further testing? Or are Williams keeping their options open? That's all the gossip I have for you this week, dear listeners, but rest assured, my ears are always open. Chaps, thoughts. Do we think that Logan Sargent's during this F1 is confirmation that Piastri's definitely done and dusted, fine skills delivered, and they're just testing out the next talent? Or do we think that they could be seeing what else is out there? Ed, what do you think? I would agree with that. I think... Piastri has pretty much signed and sealed. I don't think there's any rush to put Piat to put Sergeant in the seat, and I think they're just testing the waters out with him. Like they've tested out the waters with Nick DeFries. Um The one thing that will probably cause a little bit of headache is twenty what you do for twenty four, but that all really depends on what Alex Albon gets up to. Yes, he's on a multi year deal, but as we've seen recently with the Alex Pelot saga, contracts in motorsport can easily be ripped up in a matter of seconds. So. I would say keep an eye on it, but at the moment, I would say Piastri and Albon will be our lineup for 23 at the moment. And won't it be nice to finally see Oscar Piastri in F1? Joe, do you think that this is it's signed, sealed, delivered, done, ready to go? What, the, the Williams lineup will not include Logan Sargent next year? To which I would answer yes. I absolutely expect it to be Alex Albon and Oscar Piastri, and they get Alpine engines as a part of that deal. But Logan Sargent is one of the very few drivers, like less than one hands amount of drivers outside Formula One that I would consider to be F1 worthy. And people forgot very quickly just how good he was against Piastri and against Porsche during that F3 season, losing it at literally the final round. Going into that final race, he was leading it, for God's sake. He was ahead of Piastri, who everyone rightfully lauds for how great he is as a driver. But this year, at a Carlin team who are nowhere near the best in Formula 2 in real terms, he's putting on almost a championship challenge. He got really unlucky at Paul Ricard. He could have easily finished on the podium against the likes of Teo Porcher and Felipe Drogovic. Uh, so I would say, although it won't be the near future, Sargent's chances in Formula 1 are far from over. And again, this is his rookie year in F2. Williams have more than enough time and funding to just pay for a seat at Carlin for another year and see what happens come the end of 2023. And the fact that he's American is a very useful PR tool if Andretti decide to join the grid, because if this weekend is any indication, and I like to think this weekend and the whole season is an indication, Colton Herter is nowhere near good enough to be in Formula 1 on current form. Ouch, I think you're going to ruffle some feathers with that one. Ruffled mine. I will. Oh, I don't intern, care. Intern, he was so he was rubbish at Iowa. I'm sorry. It's like, oh, Colton Burt is the best driver, no, 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 best driver in IndyCar. No, 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 no. We are not gonna act like this guy didn't go to Toronto the same week he tested a Formula One car. He flew back to Toronto and put that car on pole. Only but lost the lead and the race. How we Only lost the win. Only lost and the so win. many other tracks. The guy is nowhere near Formula One quality. So you're telling me this guy shouldn't get an F1 car? You're telling me this guy shouldn't get an F1 seat because he had two bad weekends on an oval? This so, is what you're telling me. Have you seen the amount me. of this wins? You're telling me right now. I'm not doing this. No. No, no, I'm not doing this. Any- I'm not doing this. Listen to me, man. Listen to me, yeah. Herta is that guy. 
quote unheard as that guy. I don't even understand the bad luck that this guy has. Listen, he finished 24th in the first race in Iowa, not because he was a bad driver, but because his steering wheel stopped working and he had to spend six laps in the pits while they replaced it. So that's P24. P12 in, in, in the race two because the car just wasn't there. He didn't finish the Indy 500 because his car died on him. And that he missed out on double points that day. He is so far back in the championship right now through things that aren't of his control. The way, like, it, it's it's actually crazy how little the the, the standing the the, the the standings really just don't tell the whole story. But you know something, it's okay. It's okay. You know something. I'm, I'm gonna let y'all continue to talk that mess about Herta. I'm, I'm gonna just chest it. I'll be there though. I'll be there when he proves people wrong. I, I say what you want now, but, but if he proves you all wrong in the in the in the future, man, I'll be there, front and center. Uh, he's a younger Alex Rossi who doesn't know how to brush his hair. I rate Colton Herter, but I think David Malukas would do a better job. This is mad. This is actually mad, Jimmy. I'm done. I'm done. Go on. Go off. I'm listening. Go you, off. I'm listening. You've hurt his feelings, Joe. And also, if at any point. Colton Herter pulls out an absolutely incredible performance. I think Intern is going to blow your literal eardrum. Yeah, I will be subtweeted up the wall, but I will be able to respond with all of the instances where he has pissed away easy, guaranteed IndyCar victories through no fault of anybody else. Part of award is miles better. He's tweeting about... So what you're saying is he's the IndyCar version of Charlotte Claire. I'm saying that Colton Herter is the next Alex Rossi. Lads, no, no, I disagree. But well, we move. How is the most it. heated conversation we've ever had on this podcast not even about Formula One? Because I'm not anywhere near as passionate about Formula One as I am about Colton Herter. I mean, I, I love that you love him and I love that passion for you. I truly do. Have we all taken some deep breaths? Because we're about to time travel into the past for looking back with Ed, if that's okay with everyone. Are we all? Are we? Everyone, are we good, gents? Are we good? Everyone, everyone, have we got our Xanaxes? Let's all take a Xanax and take a little journey into the past. When the Formula One circus heads to Hungary, it's not uncommon to see a spot of rain, and this can help produce surprising race winners. Who can forget Esteban Ocon's triumph last year? Or when Daniel Ricciardo slayed the Mercedes pair of Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton, as well as Fernando Alonso to win for the second time in 2014. However, one race in the wet stood out the most when choosing my classic race, and that was the 2006 edition of the Hungarian Grand Prix. And this was the weekend where Jensen Button finally broke a hoodoo that lasted over 100 races to join the most prestigious club in motor racing. It's the story of when Button danced in the rain. It's Hungary, 2006. As Formula One approached the final race before the three-week summer shutdown, the title battle was hotting up, as Michael Schumacher began his fight back against young Matador Fernando Alonso, with a gap down to 11 points heading into the 20th Hungarian Grand Prix. Hotly rated junior Robert Kubica would make history as the first Polish driver to compete in a Grand Prix, after being drafted in to replace the sacked Jack Villeneuve, who had produced several underwhelming results. The championship protagonists hit the headlines for the wrong reasons on Friday when they were given two-place grid penalties for overtaking under yellow flags, whilst Jensen Button and Christian Albers picked up ten-place grid penalties for an engine change. 
To add further spice, Alonso and Schumacher found themselves 11th to 15th on the grid, respectively with Kimi Raikkonen taking a surprise pole from Felipe Massa and Rubens Barrichello, whilst Pedro de la Rosa was promoted to 4th courtesy of Button's penalty. Christian Kleen wouldn't start from 13th on the grid as he was forced to start from the pits. On a wet and wild race day, Raikkonen steamed off into the distance after making a flawless start, with Barrichello and de la Rosa demoting Massa to 4th as the field miraculously crawled through Turn 1. Mark Webber's great qualifying came to naught with a spin on lap one, while Sakon Yamamoto's Super Guri failed to complete a lap after suffering engine problems. Kibitza also spun at the turn seven chicane, narrowly escaping without damage. Back in the pack, spray and standing water made for difficult racing, enabling Jensen Button quickly to show his class and to carve his way past the midfield cars around him. By lap three, Schumacher and Alonso were up to fourth and fifth in spite of their lowly starting positions. But Alonso was after more, and into Turn 5, the Spaniard went around the outside of Schumacher, moving into 4th, with Button also passing Schumacher on the entry to Turn 1 as Barrichello dives into the pits on lap 5, rejoining in 10th behind Nick Heifel. Clean's visible day ended at Turn 3 with a spin into the gravel trap, reducing the field to 19, as the rain continued to worsen. Next to pit was Dalarosa on lap 16, handing 4th to Alonso as Schumacher clipped Giancarlo Fisichella into Turn 1 damaging his front wing and forcing him to make an early stop. On the same lap, Raikkonen made his way in for fresh rubber, giving Alonso the race lead, although he and Fisichella had yet to stop. Fisichella wouldn't get the chance to stop as he slid off the road on at turn 8, clipping the tyre barriers and putting him out of the race, whilst Raikkonen went off the road on the very next corner without any damage, something which couldn't be said for Kvitsa, who banged the wall at turn 5, taking his front wing off and forcing him to the pits as Nico Rosberg went off in and into the barrier at turn two, putting him out of the race. Button, meanwhile, was revelling in the difficult conditions and passed Schumacher in a decisive move that stunned the pit lane. With Alonso yet, still yet to stop, McLaren had a net one too, until Raikkonen, unsighted, came up to the lap with Antonio Liuzzi's Toro Rosso, slamming into the back of the Italian's car, putting both out on the spot. The debris on the track caused the safety car to come out, with Alonso taking full advantage of this to make his stop, before racing or back underway on lap 31 with Button second ahead of Della Rosa. Further back, Massa enjoys some bumper cars that turn one with Ralph Schumacher, fortunately without damage. On the same lap, Schumacher spun round at turn two on cold tyres, narrowly avoided and getting hit. Whilst up the front, Button was losing six seconds per lap as he tried to weep past the back markers. Schumacher began his rise through the field after his early spin first passing David Coulthard, and then teammate Massa moving him up to fifth. Meanwhile, further down the order, Scott Speed tried to gamble on slicks, only for the gamble to catastrophically fail as he slipped and slided around the still-wet track. At just over halfway, Button was gaining ground on Alonso, with the pair separated by just under two seconds, as the Brit continued to bank in lap time so it was half a second quicker than the Spaniard. Whilst the battle for the lead was going on, Schumacher set a string of fastest laps as he passed Heitfeld for fifth, as the track dried, causing Button to pit, but instead of switching to slicks, the brick came in for a top of a fuel and a front wing adjustment, with Schumacher also stopping, although he would change his tyres and have his radiators cleaned out. Now the chase was on as Button, buoyed by his brief stop, set the fastest lap of the race and with Alonso now boxing for tyres, the brick took the lead for the first time. However, for Alonso, his race would dramatically come to an end after just two corners later. Well, as a rear wheel nut came loose after his tyre change, Fernando fought hard but careered into retirement, causing him to spin to the barrier at turn three, putting him out of the race 
and making Button's life a little easier out in front as he pitted three laps later for a fresh set of rubber and another splash and dash. But he still had one very tough challenger to hold off and that was Schumacher who quietly moved up to second. However a victory seemed unlikely as the gap between him and Button was 16 seconds as the laps ticked down. However second was far from assured, Della Rosa was eating up the ground, going over a second quicker than the German as he continued to attack the Hungara ring and the German with great bundles of zest. On lap 64, Della Rosa saw his opportunity and dived on the inside of Schumacher heading into the turn 6 chicane, forcing the German off the track before making contact into turn 8. One lap later, Della Rosa got his man, squeezing by Schumacher into the chicane and moving into second as the German straight line the chicane, with Heifelt demoting Schumacher off the rostrum with three laps to go with a carbon copy of Della Rosa's move. Not that anyone could fully see it as the TV director was more preoccupied by Jan truly smoking Toyota engine. Schumacher's never-give-up attitude appeared to have royally backfired on him, as shortly after Heifeld got past, his suspension broke, sending him to retirement, costing him at least five valuable championship points. All this was small potatoes for Button, who cruised home to win his first Grand Prix at 112 attempts. Out of the last corner burst the Honda, and across the line came Jensen, jubilant after a sensational drive from 14th on the grid. The team and his supporters were ecstatic in celebration as Jensen, wide-eyed, savoured his first Grand Prix victory. With Della Rosa an excellent second ahead of Heifelt, Barrichello, Coulthard, Raoul Schumacher, Kubica, who was later disqualified for an underweight car, and Massa, with Michael Schumacher classified as eighth as a result of Kubica's disqualification. Hungary 2006 would be the highlight of Honda's brief foray as a works team, as they pulled out of Formula 1 in 2008 as a result of the global financial crisis. In early 2009, the remaining assets of the team were bought by Ross Braun, who renamed the team Braun GP, winning both the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship in their first season, in what has arguably become one of the greatest fairy tales in modern sport, with Button taking the Drivers' Championship after spending most of the winter wondering if he was going to have a job at the start of the year. Braun would later be bought out by Mercedes, who turned the team into a juggernaut the Turbo Hybrid era, winning seven Drivers' Championships and eight Constructors' Championships. Schumacher's DNF would prove costly in the long run, as the loss of at least five points hindered his championship run, which coupled with a DNF in Japan meant he went to the season finale in Brazil needing a miracle. And even with a superb comeback drive to fourth, Alonso wrapped up his second title, which unbeknownst to him at the time, would be his last, as promising youngsters Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton would rule the sport for the next decade. I feel like- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We haven't talked enough about Jensen Button on this podcast. I think this might even have been one of the first times that we've mentioned him in any kind of classic race or any conversation, actually. I do love a bit of Jensen Button's story time. Pleasure to have brought it. Has it got anything to do with the fact that Jensen Button on his day was great, but if you give him a car that had even the slightest issue in terms of setup or performance, he would get lapped by his teammate? No, I chose it because I didn't have that many options, number one. Number two, I thought it was a good race to choose from. And number three, uh, I thought let's have a different winner for a change. You didn't have many options with the Hungarian Grand Prix. This is like the venue for drivers to shithouse random victories out of nowhere. Well, we had selected 2001. 2014 is a season I just want to erase from my memory because it was terrible. 1995, all I can think of was Taki Inoue getting absolutely slammed by a medical car, and we've already used 97. Well, I thought it was fabulous, but time for news of the week. It's news time, kids. And I'm going to kick off today with the news that actually Intern did touch on earlier, and that is that Haas is going to run the upgrade on Kevin Magnussen's car this weekend in Hungary, as they only have enough parts for one car in true Haas fashion. Yeah. Is what it is. Ed, what is your news of the week? Well, as you can hear from the background, there is some news regarding the French Grand Prix. In a stoic sign of defence, the boss of the French Grand Prix, Christian Ossi, says the race isn't resigned to being cut off the calendar. And this, that view has been shared by Eric Bouillet. The French Grand Prix, which has been basically called off, Brazilian TV have even said it won't be on the 2022, has seemingly been confirmed by Brazilian television, but... That view has kind of not been shared by the boss of the French Grand Prix, uh, Christian Assossi, who is not resigned to the race being kicked off the 2023 calendar, nor is Eric Boudier. But if you want the French Grand Prix in Nice, well, you're probably going to have to wait until forever, really. Because Assossi, who is ironically enough the mayor of Nice, how fitting, has um, said that um, the Grand Prix won't be moving to Nice. So it's the Castellet. Oh, many snore. Or bust. Well, thanks. I do seem to remember you being rather excited about the prospect of the Grand Prix in Nice. But, no, Mr. Spagnoli, I think you were, sir. Well, having already offended the unpaid intern and everybody on Twitter throwing conspiracy theories about Scuderia Ferrari, I'm now going to pour more petrol on the fire by attacking Team LH as well. Uh, on a weekend when nobody seemed to be able to shut up about the fact that Lewis Hamilton has now taken part in 300 Grand Prix, a feat only shared by multiple other drivers in the last 10 years, Max Verstappen, very quietly and unexpectedly for me, became Red Bull Racing's all-time mo most appearance holder in Formula One. He's now overtaken Mark Webber and has done 130 Grand Prix for the senior Red Bull racing team. And of course, is a world drivers champion last year and probably this year as well. Um, however, I will also throw this back and attack the MV33 slash MV1 fans. Uh, stop calling Max a young driver. He is the all-time appearance holder for this team that's been in Formula One for quite some time. He is not a young driver anymore. 
very fair that you took swipes at both sides. I, I can already hear the LH44 fans attacking me. Oh, God. Intern, what is your news of the week? Um, this is news that I found out like just today. Uh, Danny Kvyat is going to be making his NASCAR debut this weekend. Danny Kvyat is going to be driving the number 26 Toyota Camry for Team Heisenberg, which is a Euro NASCAR team that just now fielded an actual NASCAR entry. They went. They they ran the Daytona 500 earlier this year with Jack Villeneuve, and this is now going to be the second Formula One driver to race in NASCAR this season. We had Villeneuve earlier. We had Kvyat. We're going to have Kvyat this weekend. When we get to Watkins Glen, Kimi Raikkonen is going to make his Cup Series debut for Team Trackhouse, and Tarso Marquez is also supposed to be racing in NASCAR at some point this year. So that's four former Formula One drivers that are showing their face in NASCAR this season. So some kind of niche, but something I thought was pretty cool because we, we, we know Kvyat's been over there. We know he's attended the NASCAR races. We know he's been talking to the necessary people. He did a test last week, driving an old late model, showed a picture of himself doing a seat fitting, I think, either yesterday or today. Now it's confirmed that Kvyat is going to be racing in NASCAR this weekend. This weekend will be his cup debut. It might be enough to make me watch a NASCAR race <laughs> for the car. It's only my second year of watching IndyCar, but it might be enough just to make me maybe just give it a try, give it a whirl and see what it's like. Thank you very much, chaps, for that little run of the news. And we're going to go back in time again because it is time for Classic Teams with Joe Spagnoli. True car manufacturers have always been a minority on the Formula One grid. But even so, it's rare today for a new team to exist just to advertise. Rarer still are teams designed to promote age-restricted products. But in the late 1990s, an ambitious tobacco supplier and unsettled driver created exactly that. Classic is a stretch with this one for multiple reasons, but his short and turbulent history of British-American racing. Riding a wave of hype and expectation never before seen in the sport, British American Racing, BAR, emerged from the ashes of the classic Tyrrell, but this was no simple takeover. Craig Pollock's team were based out of an all-new facility in Brackley, had sponsorship from one of the world's biggest tobacco conglomerates, and the services of 1997 world champion Jacques Villeneuve, for whom the team had been formed. He and reigning GT1 champion Ricardo Zonta would drive in 1999, British American Racing face a tough test in their inaugural year. Oh, it's a great challenge, but it's very exciting because it's all built from scratch. But BAR made headlines long before their Melbourne debut. Their car launch featured two different liveries, advertising different brands of British American tobacco. The FIA deemed this illegal, but rather than accepting the decision and adapting, the English upstarts complained not only to the International Chamber of Commerce, but the actual European Commission. In the end, the team reneged, fielding both cars with an asymmetrical and quite frankly hideous colour scheme for Lucky Strike and 555 cigarettes. As if that wasn't bad enough, the team were being mocked for their slogan, a tradition of excellence, an unusual choice for a team who'd never raced before. However, technical director Adrian Reynard was optimistic, claiming that BAR would win a race in their first year. The result couldn't have been more different. The BAR-01 was one of the most shockingly unreliable cars in F1 history. Villeneuve's stint began with 11 straight retirements, and on only two occasions did both drivers finish a race. 
with no points, the hugely ambitious project was even behind Minardi in the Constructors' Championship. Villeneuve's optimism was short-lived. It ended on the grid. Well, nothing happened. Uh, I was just wasn't going anywhere. There was no drive. Very frustrating to not even take the start. We wanted to finish a race to see if the car could last, so uh, that's not positive at all. A new millennium brought not only Honda engines, but dozens of the Japanese manufacturer's staff now working with the team at Brackley. Although the new car was still inconsistent, it was fast on occasion, and Villeneuve finished fourth on four separate occasions. Their form was largely maintained through 2001, aside from replacing Zonta with Frenchman Olivier Panis. Villeneuve even managed podiums in Spain and Germany, but that debut season win promise still hadn't been fulfilled. What's more, BAR's internal politics were falling apart, as Pollock was increasingly clashing with senior personnel, including Adrian Reynard. Under pressure from British-American, Pollock resigned at the start of 2002. A change was definitely needed, though, as the team's midfield pace was quickly disappearing, with only four points finishes in total and a lonely placement of eighth in the team's standings. More woe for BAR boss David Richards, as Panis, who looked on course for points, retires thanks to a broken exhaust. Yet another engine failure for the cursed Frenchman leaves a hazard in the middle of the start-finish straight. With significant staff culled not four years into BAR's existence, the team had low expectations for 03, but this would be BAR's best season yet. New signing Jensen Button scored most of their 26 total points, but between this and ongoing contract disputes, Jacques Villeneuve, the driver for whom BAR had been formed in the first place, was gone and replaced by test driver Takuma Sato before the end of the season. If 2003 was impressive, 2004 was outright staggering. Ferrari may have dominated out front, but Jensen Button was the story of the late season, spearheading BAR's push above Renault, McLaren and Williams to second in the constructors. Despite all of this, the team still didn't have a win in F1, and BAR's 2005 would be the dictionary definition of squandered potential. From challenging the dominant Scuderia mere months ago, neither Button nor Sato scored a single point until the year's mid-mark of the French Grand Prix. And yet, the real low point came sooner than that, when the team were judged to have built an underweight car in scrutineering at San Marino, and BAR's protestations at the sport's grey rules went nowhere. The BARs will not be allowed to race here, or indeed in a couple of weeks' time in Monte Carlo. Suddenly, their season has turned very sour. The resulting two-race ban shattered morale, and although Button tailed off the year with a ten-race point streak, BAR was no more. Having already bought 45% of the team the year before, Honda completed their takeover ahead of 2006, and the team designed around a world champion were phased out without a single F1 victory. And it's a shame that producer Royfield isn't here to comment upon that piece, because I know that he in particular, just like me, by the way, if it didn't come through in that incredibly scathing script, is not a fan of British-American racing whatsoever. Uh, neither of us, I'm presuming, are massive fans of tobacco in Formula One. But unpaid intern, um, I have to come to you for this. This team was literally created on the driver front to field Jacques Villeneuve after Williams basically pissed away at yet another Formula One world champion of the 1990s. Do you share the opinion that I frequently see in YouTube comments that BAR basically wasted three or more of Jacques Villeneuve's best years? Um, no, not really. I don't think anyone expected BAR to be like title contenders in year one or anything, and they definitely weren't. But the car, the car was super unreliable. But on the rare occasion where it finished, it finished in decent positions. It wasn't like a bat marker when it finished races or anything. I can't really call it wasting 
unless they're in a certain spot for too long. And I feel like between 99 to 01, it was a steady rise. So I can't call that rise wasting. But I feel like after that, like 02 and 03, not only did Villeneuve Loki get worse as a driver, but the team kind of stagnated and Button came in and was clearly better. So I feel like they both kind of wasted each other's time. I was watching something that uh, the race put up only a few months ago, and it was, it's a very broad topic, top 10 things that failed to live up to the hype in Formula 1. So just things, not necessarily drivers, teams, tyre suppliers, anything. British American mm-hmm. Racing were the all-time number one biggest disappointment in Formula The level of hype this team had going into Formula 1 in the late 90s was absolutely insane, almost never before heard. And they literally did not win a single race, despite all of their investment, the great drivers they had for a lot of that period. And what's funny, most funny of all about this, and I'm really happy that Ed chose 2006, despite my comment earlier, is that literally less than one year after BAR stopped existing in their format, this underdeveloped car literally won a race around the Hungara ring. It's just so perfect. And we'll just quickly argue. I they weren't they... really that big of a failure, man. I mean, like, they, they, 2004 was a good season, man. Like, Button was killing it. That He had, like, 10 podiums against the 04 Ferrari. Like, they weren't terrible. I don't think they're the... Maybe because of the hype, yes. But on paper, like, for a new team from 99 to 05, they, they achieved decent success. I wouldn't say... They were definitely not, like... I don't think they were a failure at all, personally. I would argue personally that Prost Grand Prix was a bigger disappointment because that came in with all the hype, big name, big drivers, started well, then gradually fell apart to the point where Alain Prost was videoed on a pit wall banging his head in frustration. I think Prost Grand Prix would be my biggest disappointment to ever enter Formula 1. But I'll end this discussion point by doing what I'm sure producer Royfield would have done for me and the reason why I in particular really despise BAR and obviously... When I was a kid, I was quite happy to see Jensen Button doing well. I quite liked Takuma Sato, blah, blah, blah. The team seemed pretty innocuous and inoffensive to me. Learning the other day just how egregious Formula One's uh, sponsorship was in terms of tobacco in the late 90s it's really put a sour taste on my rose-tinted glasses of this team and my take on BAR more or less 180'd overnight. And I discovered... Actually, that for all the talk of like tobacco advertising being banned, it has literally never been banned in Formula One. Like tobacco advertising is still completely legal today. It's just an FIA directive that they advise teams not to go for. And actually, it's funny that I chose this team this week. I was doing a little bit of research around this. And in 2019, so you can assume these figures have gotten worse since then as the sport has grown. Tobacco manufacturers contributed $95 million dollars two Formula One teams in direct sponsorship. Mission Winnow, who were linked to Philip Morris International, gave Ferrari $75 million as a title sponsor in 2019. And even McLaren took $20 million from British American Tobacco. So this absolutely horrendous corporation that has killed literally millions of people with their products are still on the Formula One grid. And quite frankly, I do not care that they're not advertising tobacco itself. They're advertising their alternatives. The product, the money is still going. The sponsorship is still going to the same company that's selling cigarettes around the world. But on the subject of massive disappointments, it's time for everyone's favourite part of the podcast, and that is Plonker of the Week. And 
turn, would you like to get us started with your Plonker of the Week? Ooh, alright. Okay. Plonker of the Week. It's but... not Joe, is it? No, it's not Joe. Come on. Come on, everyone can have their opinion. Okay, I guess Plunker of the Week to me goes to... Oh, it's so hard to not choose Leclerc, man. I'm trying to think of some like other person it could be. But boy, he just... How do you bin it? How do you bin it like that, man? I don't want to even hear any excuse. But, oh, no, you meant the... No, I don't care what the problem was, man. Completely binned it from the lead. Verstappen had already pit. I'd low-key understand if he was still behind you. But he pit for hards, which means he was going to go on a two-stop. All you had to do was keep going at your pace. All you had to do was keep stretching your mediums. You could have done a nice one-stop to the end. But instead, you kept pushing. You lost it. You went into the tire bar and you just gave Max Verstappen 25 points, man. I was the, I'm was i pretty sure I was the only person on this podcast when the season started that said I backed Max Verstappen to win the championship. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Shannon and Ed went with Charlotte. And I was like, no, Max Verstappen is clear of him. And he proved it today. Well, he proved it this week. I don't think Leclerc is a bad driver by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's brilliant. He ain't on Max Verstappen's level, man. This He, he has to be Blanker of the Week this year. It has to be him. That's a good point, well made, and I think you are right about that prediction. I do seem to remember thinking that Charles was going to maybe take it this year, but I might have to take that back. Joe, who is your plonker of the week? If I had been on the race director's podcast from day one, intern would have had defence. I called Max Verstappen for the drivers' championship ever since the end of last season, so it would have been two three two. Um, I want to throw plonker of the week towards everybody who continues to criticise Le Castellet and the circuit for Ricard, despite the overwhelming material evidence that it is actually a very good track for racing. Unfortunately, the plonker of the week mincing machine only has place for one person, and it's got to be Charles Leclerc. Congratulations, Charles, through no fault of Ferrari. A weekend where Ferrari didn't actually get it wrong for you, you managed to throw away, at the very least, a race win, and from my perspective, the 2022 Formula One Drivers' World Championship. I know you've been on those tyres for a few extra laps. They were still doing okay. They weren't graining anywhere near as badly as an accident like that could be explained by. With, with a side order of Pierre Gasly, who had a terrible weekend, it's got to be Charles Leclerc. Now, basically for all the reasons that have already been said, I feel like he just threw the world, the Drivers' Championship at Max this week and it's going to be nigh on impossible for him to get it back. So for me, plonker of the week, Charles Leclerc. Now, Mr. Spencer, are we going to get a unanimous, for the first time ever, unanimous plonker of the week? Or has some catering company pissed you off? Uh, my plonker of the week has to, unfortunately. I'm sorry, Charles. I know you were trying so hard, but it was just a simple little mistake. And, but I will say that, sorry, Charles, as much as I liked you and as much as I thought your performance was good this weekend, you can't do that. You're still a damn good driver, and I don't see why people should be right off the chance of winning the championship just yet, or saying that you're not in the same league as Verstappen, because you are. But to win championships, you first have to finish races, and unfortunately, Charles, you didn't. But there is someone else who has to share this great honour. It's the trophies. What the hell is that? Now, the trophies. The person making the bleeding things. Now, I hated the gorilla. I thought it was this 
disgusting looking thing that you would use as maybe something to stick your toilet roll on if you had a really bad case of the runs. This contraption with a Lovono logo. Mon dieu. What is this? It looks like something you'd see in a really sketchy, terrible nightclub in 1997. Bring back the simple trophies, you know, where the drivers would actually look proud to hold them. I did 50 odd laps for this. So, yes, join Plonkers of the Week, Charles and Clerk, with regret. I don't like doing this. And the person creating those god awful Lenovo trophies. Fix up! So close, and yet we just couldn't have a nice thing. Yet you had to throw the trophies in there. Thank you very much. And on that disappointing note, so thank you very much, gents, for coming. And dear listeners, please do give us a review if you are enjoying the podcast. We are now at the halfway point for the season. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at race underscore directors or like us on Facebook at the race directors podcast. We would love to meet you. We will be posting updates and all the rest of it throughout the rest of the season. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Bonsoir. Bye. Lewis is winning. Okay. <laughs> really? What a note, what yeah, a note. Right. More chance of me losing six stone before I I mean, you could. Uh, yeah, yeah could. I mean, any driver could win. I mean, even... Who knows, Nicholas Latifi might channel his inner Schumacher to dominate. I mean, yeah, I mean... All right, now we're just being silly. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.